Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. They're definitely the prettiest chocolates I've ever seen in my life. You're going to eat one? No, but if you guys want to see them, head to my Instagram story, <laughs> which I will post tomorrow when this episode goes up. So it'll We can be... do better than this. What do you mean? Let's do it after the show. No, they're so pretty. Yeah, no, like you taking photos. They're, those are sloppy photos. What? <laughs> they're not. <laughs> yes, they are. No, they're not. like a hand and a leg. I'm sorry. Come on, you can do better than that, and you know it. She is such a weird-looking dog, huh? No. No, she is. Just say it. It's fine. Stop. She can't That's understand just your opinion, you. Dude. I can be like, Hazy, you're so weird. You're so weird. You're so weird. No See? wonder her eyes look sad. No, you're she looks ha- look, she dog. looks happy. She doesn't look happy. <laughs> yeah, she does. Hello everybody and welcome back to Let Me Tell You a Story. And we are ready to go. Right, babe? Yes. Like an abduction in broad daylight, or something many of us are sadly very familiar with, a senseless attack carried out at a public locale. There are just certain circumstances that may surround a crime that on the surface can make said crime more shocking, tragic, and just flat out more disturbing. The idea of somebody being brutally attacked while just living their life, or a seemingly safe location being the setting of a gruesome murder is not something that anybody should ever expect to see on the evening news. But if anybody had any doubts as to how evil some people can really be in this world, let me tell you a story about a crime so shocking because of not only how it was committed, but why, and even more so, where, in which one man beloved by literally everybody who knew him lost his life rocking an entire community and sending police on a months-long hunt to track down his killer. Dun, dun, dun! (laughs) (laughs) Was that good? I feel like right after that, it needed to be like, on the next, Oprah. (laughs) It's so dramatic. While the suburbs of Buffalo, New York, lay eerily quiet, the early morning hours of June 29th, 2013, looked a little bit different for Lawrence Wells, who instead was getting ready to work a semi-graveyard shift. But good old Larry was no stranger to the overnight life, because Larry worked in retail. And let me tell you something about overnight retail, okay? It's not something I would wish on anybody, because I used to work at Victoria's Secret, alright? And it was miserable. It was absolutely the worst. But luckily for Larry, he did not work at Victoria's Secret as a pink girl, and he was also a manager. So while the other employees working that morning were all stalkers and tasked with unloading truckfuls of product and restocking shelves, manager Larry would be in and out of his office doing what managers do. So as his four-year-old daughter and his wife Jill, pregnant with their second child, slept oh so soundly, Larry headed off to work at the local... Toys R Us. I'm sorry, but I would rather work at Victoria's Secret than Toys R Us. Yeah, I know. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) Because can you imagine the amount of product that was coming into Toys R Us in 2013? And that wasn't even at its peak. But still, Toys R Us was the jam in the 2000s. It's not even that. Like, I used to work in a record store in England, Mm HMV. Shout out to HMV. But... It wasn't the store that was a bummer. We used to do late night, overnight stocking, all kinds of shit. It was the people who came into the store that was the bummer. Now, the people that come into Toys R Us are much worse than the people who come into Victoria's Secret. But if you're a stalker, you're usually working before the store opens. You keep saying stalker. 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 No, a stalker. You stalk the (laughs) shelves. Stalking people. You want me to say it in my accent? Yeah. A stalker. A what? A stalker. They get stuck on things? Yeah, they stalk. They stuck. They stalk the shelves. <laughs> yeah, if you're a stalker, then you're literally only just working the shelves. You're prepping the store for the day ahead. Yeah, I feel like you could get in the zone. And then you get out. Listen to your headphones, you get out. Yeah. Their, their shift started in the middle of the night, which means that they're not getting as much of the general public. Right. But yeah, I know you're right, because I used to beg, like beg my parents to take me to Toys R Us. And back in the day when Toys R Us was like popping off, it was Toys R Us, Kids R Us, and Babies R Us like all in one. Yeah. Remember? They were massive. Everyone's cracked out. <laughs> all the kids are cracked no, out. No, it's true. And the store would look like absolute garbage <laughs> by the end of the day. It was insane. 
All right, so let's talk about Larry and his wife, Jill. They had met in the ninth grade. They were just 15 years old at the time, but age ain't nothing but a number for these two because the high school sweethearts would go on to attend college together before ultimately becoming husband and wife. And by all accounts, Larry and Jill were just like that couple, you know, like made for each other, like penguins. What? <laughs> they look like penguins? No. <laughs> Penguins mate for life. Didn't you know that? It's lots of animals that are more majestic that mate no. for life. Penguins, like, notoriously mate for life. I'm serious. Once they hook up with one other penguin... There's e- lots of animals Even that if do that, that penguin dies, that's it. That's it for yeah. them. Don't you think that's super romantic? I think penguins... Like, I would never want to be compared to a penguin. Why? They're so they, romantic. Like, waddle... Can't walk properly. We both watched that show on Netflix. You watched the show on <laughs> no, Netflix. That Disney Plus. <laughs> I, you watched Babies. it. Babies. What was it called? Wild Babies? Something like that? On Netflix. Oh, it was on Netflix? Yeah. It was on Disney Plus. It was on Netflix. It was definitely on Disney it's Plus. It's definitely on Netflix. Really? Yes. Anyways, Jill and Larry were like penguins, okay? I'm sorry you don't find penguins romantic, but I do happen to find penguins mating for life extremely romantic. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) While Larry and Jill were financially stable as a young married couple, at least as financially stable as a young married couple could be, when it came time to starting a family, Larry, who was an elementary school teacher at the time, decided to get a second job to better provide for what he would hopefully see as a family of three. Okay. I read that the economy was shit at the time, which would make sense if this was like early to mid-2000s when we were all ultimately headed for a major recession. And also Larry was left struggling to find a permanent teaching job because he really did love teaching. So getting a second job wasn't for any other reason other than bringing in some extra income for the family to be better fit to buy a house and obviously start. A family start expanding their family so it's safe to assume that larry wasn't planning on making his new part-time job at toys r us his career but he was just too good and he just kept getting promoted larry literally ran up that corporate ladder into management complete with his very own office and i gotta say you know you're important when you have an office at a retail store because there's only like two offices maybe and if your name is on the door of one of them, you've pretty much reached the top, at least at the retail level. They offered me a manager job at the record store. Really? That's when I quit. Yeah. Wow, you're so edgy. <laughs> or <laughs> That gnat landed literally in the center of your forehead. So he was working this job nights and doing teaching in the day well he's a manager so he oversees everything so they have a lot of overnight shifts because they get a lot of product he was also teaching or he wasn't teaching he got the second job until he became a manager and then that became Uh, his regular job okay damn he really crushed it huh so larry arrived at the store that morning just before 4 a.m and being a manager he was tasked with unlocking the door for the employees who also arriving to begin their shifts Isaac Millette Lloyd rode up to the store on his bike to meet his manager along with another co-worker, Cindy Barone. The three went in with Larry locking the door behind him. Because the store wasn't open yet to the general public, Larry was the only one with keys to lock and unlock the door. Any late arriving employees would have to radio Larry or call him from the front door to let him let them in, okay? which is exactly what Anthony Armstrong did when he arrived at the store late for his shift at around 4.50 a.m. 50 minutes late, by the way. 50 minutes. Can't blame traffic at 4 a.m. No. Once again, once Anthony arrived, Larry unlocked the door, let Anthony's late ass in, and locked the door behind them. Now, because there were so few employees in the store at the time, it was fairly usual for everybody to head to their dedicated sections and then not really see or run into each other for the rest of their shift, if that makes sense. Like, they all had spaces in the store, okay? After all, it's Toys R Us, and this Toys R Us was connected to a Babies R Us, so you know this building is big. Isaac Millette Lloyd was in Toys obviously the best job because it seems like he just got to rearrange the toy section and it's really like an ocd person's dream come true that would be Def- my dream job for sure definitely the best if i worked at toys that's your us. dream job you can <laughs> if, have that job if i worked at toys <laughs> us, okay um okay 
Now, Cindy had been a Toys R Us employee for a while, and she knew the store like the back of her hand. So she was always the unofficial main stalker. She was tasked with unloading product from the trucks that were already waiting for them by the time they arrived at the store, and then taking that product and restocking the shelves because she literally knew where everything went, okay? So that's what she did. Anthony Armstrong, who was the newest employee, started his shift the way he always did, asking Larry what he should do. Which I gotta say, pretty ballsy when you're almost an hour late. But listen, we all know an Anthony, right? Comes in casually late, has no clue where to start. I know someone like that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's why I put that in there. But by all accounts, this really was a great team. Larry loved his employees and they loved Larry. According to an Oxygen episode on this case, the team really enjoyed working with Larry because it was actually fun. And so it didn't really ever feel like work. Because of that, the morning went smoothly. That was until 5.45 a.m. when an alarm went off in the store. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. And this alarm was, like, loud AF. And it didn't seem like the alarm raised any immediate concerns other than the fact that it was just hella annoying. I'm assuming it's, like, a warehouse alarm, you know? Like, like if no one was bothered by it, it must it's a normal happen alarm. a lot. Yes, exactly. So it's probably, like, the back door is alarmed right. and people go for a smoke break or whatever. Yeah, exactly. But when it kept going off, Isaac, who was working at the back of the store by this time, so around 5.45, he radioed Larry and was like, hey, uh, the alarm is still going off. Could you put that off? But he got zero response. So then Isaac radioed again to his employees, his co-workers, and he was like, okay, can someone go to Larry's office and ask him to turn the alarm off? And Cindy, who is now on shelves, is the closest to Larry's office, and she's like, yep, I'm on it. Opening Larry's office, Cindy would come face-to-face with, I'm sure, a scene that she would never, ever forget. Slumped over in his office chair was Larry Wells, who was bleeding profusely from his chest. With the extent of blood all over Larry, a traumatized Cindy began screaming, alerting the other employees who came running to see what the hell had happened. Cindy then dialed 911 and told the dispatcher through frantic breaths that they needed help at Toys R Us immediately because their manager had been shot. Explained to the operator that they had all started work at 4 a.m. that morning, Cindy guessed that Larry must have let someone else into the store, someone that they had not seen. And that's when another employee, Richard Shepard, told Cindy that he had shown up at 5 a.m. for his shift. But when he couldn't get in, because he couldn't get in touch with Larry to come open the front door for him, he had walked around the back to the Baby's R.S. entrance and entered through an open door, which he thought was weird at the time, but he was like, I'm late as hell. Let me just go in. There's a cockroach on the windowsill behind the pot. All right, we have... Taking care of the cockroach <laughs> situation. Um, yeah, there's a heat wave in L.A., so there are cockroaches freaking everywhere, okay? <sighs> Anyways, as I was saying before that rude interruption, R.I.P. Rochi. So Larry had let in Anthony Armstrong around 4.50 a.m., but then when Richard Shepard got to the store at 5 a.m., he said... Hey, uh, there was nobody to let me in. I couldn't get a hold of Larry. So I walked around to Babies R Us. There was a door open, which I thought was weird, but not too weird at the time. And I just walked in because I'm late as hell. So let me just get in here and start my shift, if that makes sense. So, Richard, this is at around 5 50 a.m. because Mm. at 5 45, the alarm went off. So, Cindy goes in a couple minutes later. She sees Larry. She screams. They all run in. She dials 911. Okay. So as she's dialing 911, she's obviously heard this story from Richard, who's like, oh, my God, like the door was open. The door was open. So Cindy also relays that to the operator. Assuming they were dealing with an active shooter situation, authorities, along with the SWAT team, were called to the Hamburg Toys R Us. First on the scene were patrol officers Randall and Palmer, who retrieved the four employees, Isaac Millette Lloyd, Cindy Barone, Anthony Armstrong, and Richard Shepard before moving them across the street to continue securing the scene. Because they knew the store was not open to the public, authorities feared that whoever had shot Larry may still be inside the store, and they wanted to get the employees away from the building in order to secure the scene. 
Then patrol officers Randall and Palmer entered the store and proceeded to the back office while authorities created a perimeter around the store outside with SWAT on standby. Making their way into the office, Officer Palmer began immediately searching for a weapon inside Larry's office, while Officer Randall checked Larry Wells for any sign of life. That's when Officer Palmer radioed Captain Trask, who was waiting outside, to let them know that Larry did, in fact, have a pulse. Because of the potential danger with the situation, this was not like a normal scene. First responders didn't rush in immediately to help tend to Larry, even knowing that he had a pulse, because they didn't know who else was in the store. Instead, the patrol officers had to drag Larry through the store and out the front door to meet EMTs, who immediately put him in the back of an ambulance and rushed him to the hospital. It was noted at that time that Larry had already lost an incredible amount of blood, but yes, he did still have a pulse, though at this point, they could already tell that he was going downhill, as his breathing was very shallow due to his massive chest wound. Meanwhile, now that all employees and Larry were out of the store, Captain Trask activated the SWAT team who headed inside to sweep the store. This was like a really... a lot. Well, it was a, it was a lot at the time because Cindy's like, hey, there's nobody else in here except for four employees and a manager and he's been shot. Nobody knows when he was shot. It's clearly Anthony Armstrong. How do you know? <laughs> How do you know? <laughs> How do you know? Can't trust anyone. Yeah. Called Anthony. So the SWAT team headed inside the store, okay, and they found nobody. (laughs) So now it was officially time for investigators to get to work. Unfortunately, Larry Wells succumbed to his injuries and route to the hospital. He actually died before he even made it. His family were notified, and if I can tell you anything, oh my gosh, the interview with his father is one of the most heartbreaking interviews I've ever seen. It's absolutely devastating. His dad is like the sweetest old man. And he's talking about how unfair it is to like have to bury a kid. And he's just so like matter of fact, but also like it's so simple in what he's saying. He's like, it's really unfair. It's unfair. It's unfair. And it sounds so simple, but it's so profound because he's right. Like it actually is extremely unfair for parents to have to bury their own children. And Larry was so young he had a four-year-old daughter he had another kid on the way and he's dead and at work and he kept saying this uh, this shouldn't happen to somebody at work like who goes to work and dies because they're murdered at their workplace so looking up hamburg just to let you guys know it's about 10 miles outside the city of buffalo it's like a suburb of buffalo it's right on the border of uh new york and canada It's like there's a bridge that separates Hamburg from Canada, and it's like right by Niagara, Mm. like right by Niagara. So it's like a very small, quaint suburb, and this sounds so cliche, but literally every interview I read was like, this does not happen here. And at the time that this happened, this was like the biggest thing that had happened in Hamburg in so many years. It's like one of those perfect little towns small town vibes very family oriented very suburban or whatever so obviously this is going to be huge news okay now another big surprise was his cause of death obviously he had been murdered but it was not by means of a gun larry wells had been stabbed multiple times i was gonna say someone would have heard the shot that's what i would have thought too and i immediately was like huh And that realization really made the attacker seem even more brazen than he or she already did. And this entire case had this horrific, like, dark cloud over it. As more and more community members heard about the early morning Toys R Us murder. And of course, you know that every news station ran that headline. The Toys R Us murder. Because it's just weird. It's not like anything you would ever expect. What do they say about stabbings? It's a crime of passion. A crime of passion, yeah. Investigators got to work right away. They had four suspects right there in front of them. The four store employees who had been at work with Larry that morning, including Cindy, of course, who had found his body, which you know, the, the person who finds the body... Cindy didn't do it. The person who finds the body shoots to the top of the list because they found the body, of course. 
Detective Scott Cascino separated the four employees, placing each in their own police vehicle to be questioned. They were all asked about their recollection of the morning, but most importantly, what, if anything, stood out to you? Any people or vehicles you didn't recognize when you got to the store, anything you saw at the windows, blah, blah, blah. Anything at all, no matter how small, that just didn't feel right. And all of the employees were feeling the pressure from authorities. They weren't like, I'm so sorry. They were like, what happened? Tell us what you know, that type of thing. No matter how innocent they may have felt, they were now directly involved in a major crime. Even if they had nothing to do with it, they were there. So by circumstance, they were involved in the situation at the very least. And the first employee to raise suspicion was... Isaac Millette Lloyd. So he was the one who arrived on his bicycle. He arrived early. He arrived on time with Cindy. Okay. And he, according to authorities, was noticeably nervous and a bit all over the place. And they just got a really weird feeling talking to him. He was like shaking. He didn't do it. Now, when talking to Richard, the first thing that stood out was the fact that he didn't get to the store until 5 a.m., of course. And he's like very conveniently like, I didn't hear from Larry, that type of thing. The last one in, yes, of course, but also the last one to arrive before Larry is murdered. Larry had definitely been seen before 5 a.m. when he let Anthony Armstrong in, but not after after 5, right? So where was Richard before he arrived? And they were like, hey, why were you so late? Where were you? And he told police, listen, I was just getting some snacks. (laughs) (laughs) and they're like for an hour he's like yeah i had a really early shift it's a rough shift i needed to get some snacks some coffee and he also told police exactly what he told sydney right i could not get a hold of larry to come to the i could not get a hold of larry to come open the front door for me right that's when he found an open door on the baby's rs side the least suspicious of all was cindy barone who just flat out recalled the entire morning for authorities what time they got there what we already know about what she was doing and how and when she found larry's body in his office before dialing 911. police were able to gather that the last employee to actually see larry before his murder was of course anthony armstrong oh shit He didn't help his case either by being by far the least cooperative out of the four employees interviewed that morning, according to authorities. But really, none of the four employees looked all that good in the beginning. Isaac's nervous as hell. Cindy found the body. Richard is late getting snacks, as well as Anthony, who's also not the easiest to talk to. So police are like, all right, cool. This is this is a lot. A second detective sergeant was called, Detective Timothy Crawford, to help further run down leads because clearly authorities had a lot of people to look at for the murder and honestly, like, very early on, too, which I think would probably be a good thing when you have so many people close to it right from the get-go. It's not that many people. Four people. It's But I what I'm saying is it's different than finding a body and being like, huh? Versus, like, no, there I are think four be, people surrounding this it's body. It's like Cluedo. It's 100% like Clue. <laughs> right. That's literally the first thing I thought. I was like, oh, this guy's murdered. The manager's murdered. There's four employees in the store. Manager in the office mm-hmm. with a knife. Right. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Canvassing the neighborhood and creating a victimology, investigators were quick to learn that Larry Wells was adored. By literally everybody who knew him. No criminal record. No known enemies. Literally nobody could fathom how anybody would have wanted to kill Larry Wells. So they're like, all right, well, there's no like outside influences here. So they go back to the crime scene. And that's where detectives noticed a surveillance system inside Larry's office that had also been unplugged from the wall. The surveillance tape had also been removed, but it was lying on the desk in the office. So naturally, they're like, all right, well, let's just check out the tape. If one of these employees had something to do with Larry's murder, we would obviously see them walking into the office, at least to remove the tape, even if the murder happened after the tape was removed, if that makes sense. Why did you put the tape on the desk, though, if you're trying to get rid of it? Yeah, that's what I thought, too. I was like, wouldn't you just take that with you? Well, smash it. I don't know. Just take it with you. Leave with it. Luckily, the regional loss prevention manager, Bernie Grushka, was already outside the Toys R Us that morning. So he was a friend of Larry's and had been called by the higher-ups to come to the store to find out what the hell had happened. And he was a huge help to authorities early on because he was able to get their surveillance back up and running. And what they found on that tape would bring authorities their first big break. 
Around 4.24 a.m., a masked figure is seen at the front door of the Babies R Us, fidgeting with the lock before he gains access and begins to sneak around the aisles of the quiet store. And he was very obviously trying to avoid being seen by both employees, but also it looked like he was trying to avoid the cameras too, which they were like, hmm, somebody who knows where the cameras are in the store, very, very suspicious. Detective Kashino recalled the figure's movements, comparing them to that of like a zigzag pattern, according to the Oxygen interview. And he also noted that in his or her hand was a large butcher knife, but they cannot see this assailant's uh, face because it is masked. Finally, the assailant made their way into Larry's office around 4.32 a.m. So police are like, oh my gosh, okay. The assailant is literally waiting for Larry in his office. This is a planned hit. A few minutes later, around 4.39, the tape cuts off. Obviously at the time that the assailant finished disconnecting the surveillance, okay? So 4.32, he enters the office. 4.39, tape goes dead. It's like some scream shit. Yeah. Now we know, even though it's not on tape, we know that at 4.50, Larry lets Anthony in. And we know at 5, Richard says that Larry couldn't come to the front door because he couldn't get a hold of him. So what police are thinking is like, okay, he lets him in at 4.50. The assailant's already waiting in the office because they see the assailant waiting in the office at 4.32. Which means that Anthony arriving, which is on tape, by the front security cameras, they're like, okay, well, it's obviously not Anthony unless we're missing something, unless something's really, really weird. And it can't be Richard because Richard's seen at the front door at five. That's a sick plan, though, is to, like, break into a place with a mask on, disconnect the surveillance, then take the shit off, then come around, and then totally. come back to the door. That's a sick plan. Totally, which is exactly what police are thinking. They're like... <laughs> This helps us 0% because once the tape cuts off, it's really... You know who knows? You have no clue. So they're still at square one, really. That's diabolical, though. Very diabolical. Very diabolical. You can't (laughs) speak to that. No, I can't. (laughs) I've been talking all day. (laughs) Now, what happens exactly, obviously, we we can predict a lot of things, but we don't really know, and neither did authorities, but... What was known was that at some point, Larry Wells is stabbed to death, okay? Somewhere in that time frame. Investigators then proceed to watch the tape over and over and over and over and over and over again. Just to be sure that they haven't missed anything, which is honestly really smart because it often takes a few views to note every single detail. And for authorities, one of those details would inevitably solve this entire crime. Detective Crawford was the one to point out that the assailant is, is wearing sneakers. A, no, any other guesses? Oh, it's an item. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like sneakers in a way. Some sort of shoes, pants. No, it's an accessory of some sort. A, a sick gold chain. <laughs> no, but that would be tight. <laughs> a. Florida Gators baseball cap. No. Yeah, very weird. And it just so happened that a Florida Gators baseball cap had been found in Larry Wells' office next to his body, laying on the floor, and it was covered in blood. Okay. It had already been bagged as potential evidence because of all the blood found on it, but now authorities knew that they had a smoking gun if the cap had any DNA on it because that DNA most definitely belonged to their killer because their killer is literally wearing it in their surveillance footage, right? But in order to match any potential DNA once the cap was tested, they would already need to have collected DNA from their killer or hope that they would get a match in CODIS. So they proceeded to put together a plan to collect all the DNA they possibly could, not just from the employees that morning, but from every single Toys R Us employee at the store, including former employees of the store. And that's a lot of DNA. But investigators had literally been gifted a piece of evidence that could certainly solve the crime, so they had to make sure that they got this right. Authorities would get their Hail Mary when the DNA lab confirmed that they were able to pull a full DNA profile from the baseball cap that did not belong to Larry Wells. Before executing their collection plan, they first had the lab run the DNA through CODIS, 
If there's a match, the investigation ends there, obviously. But alas, no match. Mm. So now it was time to collect. Because of the massive scale of the investigation and potential suspects, local authorities called in the big guys, the FBI. In total, 47 current and former Toys R Us employees, and I'm assuming any other close associates of Larry's, were asked to submit their DNA, which was then sent to the lab to be, quote, rush tested. But despite the term, that shit takes long yeah, it's like as months, hell. right? Yeah, it's like, okay, but you have to already think how many cases do they already have lined up. Even though this is a huge case, and they're like, hey, this is going to solve the crime. The lab is like, great, we'll get to it when we can. Right. In the meantime, detectives. De- <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> In the meantime, detectives continued investigating, and it would take them weeks to work their way through the long list of current and former employees, all with the hopes of uncovering anything amiss in Larry Wells' life, or anybody who had any sort of grudge against the seemingly adored toy store manager. They wanted to know if Larry had fired anybody, and if so, why did they fire them? Did they seem really angry? That type of thing, right? In all, hundreds of people were interviewed. And keep in mind, they were also receiving leads from the general public at the time. And one of those leads would maybe give detectives a new potential clue. A resident of the area told authorities that they had seen a black Chevy Impala in the parking lot of the Toys R Us in the early hours of the morning, around 1 a.m., hours before Larry and the rest of his team arrived for their shift. What year? He didn't have a license plate. Okay. (laughs) He didn't see a driver. He had literally zero information except for black Chevy Impala. I feel like if you say black Chevy Impala, you guess the year. Yeah, there's nothing. He's like, hey, I saw black Chevy Impala. There's, a big, like, there's okay. a big difference between like a 70s That's Chevy Impala. That's just what he Impala said. It's a black Chevy and Impala. And a 2002 Chevy Impala. Mm-hmm. He was like, I saw a black Chevy Impala. It weirded me out. Gave me the willies. And they're like, okay, did you see anything else? What was the license plate? What year was it? And he's like, I don't know. Black Chevy Impala. Gave me the willies. And they're like, the willies. okay, great. Thank you for that. That's not a direct quote, by the way. That's just me. Now, authorities filed that lead away in their brains. And they were like, all right, let's get back to work. Finally, the lab called to let detectives know that they had officially finished processing all of the collected DNA. So now, it was time for investigators and detectives to run all of the collected DNA against the killer's DNA. Starting with the obvious, the four employees at the store that morning, and shockingly to investigators, not one Mm. of those samples were a match to their killer. I don't like it. Anthony, Anthony Armstrong. Anthony Armstrong is innocent. No way. He is. No way. Not one of those employees were a match to their killer. Damn it. Mm-hmm. I hate it when I'm wrong. And I'm sure they were not only shocked, but also annoyed because they're now they're like, God damn it. Now we have to run these 40 plus more samples. Hey, my apologies to Anthony Armstrong. Yeah. Yeah. You should be sorry. <laughs> and it could literally be anybody at this point. They have 40 more samples to get through. The employees were happy to hear that they had been cleared, but honestly not surprised because even in the worst case scenario, Isaac Millette Lloyd told Oxygen that there was just no way. Everybody working that morning literally loved Larry and he never once believed that one of his co-workers was responsible for his murder. So one by one, each sample was run until there were no samples left. Shut up. Not a single sample collected yielded any matches to the killer. It had been months since the murder, and they were back to square one. And the family and friends of Larry Wells were obviously frustrated, and the community of Hamburg, New York, were obviously very unsettled. And authorities knew that they were losing control over the case, So they called the FBI to create a suspect profile. But then a major lead came in. A man had just been arrested and the car he was driving at the time of his arrest was registered to a Toys R Us employee. Patrick Wallen was taken into custody and his car was searched and a knife was recovered. At the time, he wasn't connected to anything else. And I'm not even sure what crime had landed him in handcuffs in the the first place, but it could not have been that serious because he was released. But it turns out Anthony's girlfriend's mother worked at Toys R Us. So obviously there's a connection there. 
and a knife found in the car? Very, very sus. So while surveilling Anthony, investigators got super lucky when Anthony tossed his cigarette out of his window, which was quickly collected and sent off to be tested. And voila, nothing. (laughs) Back to square one again. Mm. How crazy is it that, like, you call the FBI to help. They're like, well, did you look into this guy? They look into this guy who's just arrested. His car is registered to a Toys R Us employee. And then when he was arrested, they found a knife in his car. Was it a butcher knife, though? It was a big knife. It was, like, a very big knife. A a very big knife? (laughs) A very big knife. (laughs) A very big knife was found in his car. Not, like, a little pocket knife or anything. A knife. Like, a knife knife. Like a buck knife, though? Or, like, a butcher knife? like, a knife. Like, a big knife. Because in the surveillance... knife? No, in the... What kind of knife? I don't know, babe. Oh, my God. In the surveillance footage, police noted what we saw was an eight-inch knife. You said butcher knife. They said, yeah, an eight-inch knife, a butcher knife, a big butcher knife you to cut, an, like, steak. You can get, like, an eight-inch buck Who knife. are you right now? <laughs> Gordon Ramsay? No, you can get a buck knife. Okay, great. An eight-inch knife is not a buck knife. You can get an eight-inch buck knife. Yes. An eight-inch knife. Yes. Is a buck knife? Yes. No. Yes. There's so many people watching this who are like, I just killed a buck last week and I didn't use an eight-inch knife. You don't have to knife. use a buck knife, but a buck knife is I eight inches. most people think of a buck knife as being a smaller knife. No, a buck knife is the knife that the guy in Scream, Ghostface, used to kill everybody. I know this How because I worked is on the project buck? and I had to buy a buck knife. Okay, here we go. The most popular buck knife available is three and three quarter inches long. Type in scream knife. Scream knife. It's a buck 120. Yes. Okay, so let's look. Yes, it is. Okay, let's look at the dimensions. (laughs) Buck 120. Just put this to rest right now, yeah? Do it. Six inches. Okay, close enough. Okay, whoa. An eight inch knife definitely does not seem to me like a buck knife. It seems like a freaking butcher knife. So I'm assuming that they wouldn't have stopped him if the knife that they found in his car was anything smaller than a big knife is what I'm getting at. But how crazy is it? Is that like they get this guy, he's arrested, taken into custody, car searched, knife found, the car is registered to a Toys R Us employee, not a match. Story's killing me. I think it was killing detectives too. (laughs) At this point, investigators are like, all right, what the hell did we miss here? Let's go back and double check that we honestly crossed all of our T's, dotted all of our I's, all right? They first double checked the collection list and that's when they realized, hey, wait, there's one person missing. We did not collect their DNA. The regional loss prevention manager, Bernie Grushka. Not Grushka. When they called him, he was like, oh yeah, 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 no, totally, I'll come give my DNA. I'm just really sick right now. Oh, no. So then they called him a few days later, and he's like, oh, I'm out of town. And they called him a few days later, and he's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm kind of feeling under the weather. And authorities are like, listen, this guy was a friend of Larry's. He was at the store consoling workers. There's actual news footage of him consoling the employees at the store, outside the store, that morning. He is the regional loss prevention manager. He's literally Larry's boss. He helped them so much get their surveillance footage back up and running. We consulted with him. Why the hell is he trying to avoid us? Was he a loss on prevention manager? Was he stealing a bunch of shit? So, (laughs) they go and surprise Bernie Grushka at his house, okay? They knock on the door and they're like, hey, Bernie, we just really need your DNA, okay? Once confronted with police, he had no choice but to provide a sample, which was then sent to the lab where it was matched to the DNA found on the Florida Gators cap. Bam. Got him. Investigators probably shaking with with excitement because remember, this is is months. This is months after the murder. They had relied on this guy. They consulted with him in the beginning. They had collected all the DNA, and this is a an actual example of a, a tunnel vision type of case because the guy who's super helpful, kind of connected, doesn't even get flagged for not submitting his DNA. They collected over 40 samples of all the Toys R Us employees, and they never collected samples from this guy who was his boss because he helped them. And they thought, obviously, it's one of the employees. 
obviously it's one of the people that were at the store that morning. I still think it's Anthony Elstrom. <laughs> <laughs> you already apologized to him. You can't take it back. So this time they decided to give good old Bernie another surprise visit. With hopes of a confession this time, all right? They started easy, telling Bernie that his DNA was found on the surveillance power cord. And he's like, uh, yeah, duh. I'm the regional loss prevention manager. My DNA is on a lot of power cords in a lot of Toys R Us stores. And they're like, all right, cool. Well, your DNA was also found on a baseball cap that was covered on the in Larry Wells' <laughs> blood. And also that we see the assailant wearing before he enters Larry Wells' office. And he's like, huh, well, that's weird. He's like, ooh. Yeah, and authorities are like, yeah, it's not that weird if you're the killer. And he's like, well, I'm not. These, and are, all, like, these are all hmm. quotes. These are all quotes. <laughs> these right? are not direct, direct quotes. quotes. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, well, we think you are. And he's like, all right, well, then get me a lawyer. And they're like, yeah, no problem. Also, you're under arrest. Bernie told police, you know what? I can't go to jail because my dog has an appointment at 10 a.m. Valid. That's a valid <laughs> response. I knew you would say that. <laughs> and they're like, you're going to jail, dude. Okay. Again, quote, not a direct, direct, quote. direct quote. And I wrote, not direct <laughs> quotes. When Bernie was escorted to prison, investigators began a deep dive into his past. And they searched his house where they found a whole lot There's of Toys stolen <laughs> merchandise <laughs> from, you guessed it, Toys R Us. Working as a loss prevention manager, Bernie Grushka had it made as a thief. He stole over 200 thousand dollars worth of merchandise in total putting it all together it became easy to assume that bernie grushka was also stealing hard cold cash money from toys r us also and that's when it all made sense bernie grushka had gone into the toys r us to steal money from the safe that was in larry wells's office because the safe for like the end of closing is always in the manager's office now they were like all right so he went in to steal and that clearly led to Larry's murder. Armed with DNA evidence, prosecutors knew that they had a solid case against Bernie. But proving first-degree murder would be tough since Bernie refused to talk, let alone confess. And New York had a very strict rule about proving charging first-degree murder or first-degree intentional murder since it was pretty clear that robbery gone awry was way more likely than Bernie having some crazy random vendetta against Larry Wells, if that makes sense. It's the difference between he planned it or right. it just happened. So they were like, well, damn, we can't get him for that. Let's just approach him with a plea deal for manslaughter, meaning that something you did led to his murder. And also you have to tell us what the hell happened. Now, knowing that they had his DNA, Bernie accepted, and he explained that after he had made his way into the store, he entered Larry's office and laid in wait, since he needed Larry to give him access to the safe. Oh my god. Mm -hmm. I thought this guy was a pro. No. But when Larry entered his office and was confronted by the masked assailant, who he didn't even know, like he didn't know his identity... He wasn't about to give it up that easy because, you know, he's a good employee. So he started fighting back. And Bernie freaked out because Larry was putting up a really good fight. And that's when Bernie panicked and began attacking Larry with the knife that he brought. And then he ran out, claiming he never, ever intended for Larry to die. And he also didn't intend on dropping his hat either. Bernie was in debt by over a million dollars and Why? still living way beyond his means. So he had he like just, really nice cars, he had a nice house. I think his wife had been sick at some point. He had a business that had failed. He began stealing merchandise to resell on eBay, classy. <laughs> and then he just began stealing money too. He had filed for bankruptcy, but he was slowly but surely losing his cool. His wife had even taken out an order of protection out against him after he pretended to shoot himself after an argument. So the way I read it was that they got into an argument, stormed out of the room, went into their bedroom, shut the door, and then she heard a gunshot. When she ran into the room, he was sitting there and he told her, <laughs> and I quote, I just wanted to see if you still loved me. And Damn. she was like, psycho! <laughs> she called police. What's his name? Bernie Grushka. Bernie? Bernie's dramatic. No, he's fuck. insane. He's insane. That's insane behavior. He loves the drama. He loves the drama. <laughs> and I think after $200,000 worth of stolen merchandise, after you get away with it for so long, it probably just becomes very normal for you. 
And then he's like, oh, I'm desperate for money now. I'm just going to go in with a mask. Larry's going to open the safe. I'm going to run away. No one's ever going to think it's me. Yeah, he escalated. He escalated Bad hardcore. Plan. Because plan. clearly that was the first time he'd ever confronted a manager. And it, that Toys R Us store in Hamburg was one of the Toys R Us stores that he was in control of. Bernie Grushka ultimately accepted his plea, which he he obviously pled guilty to. And he was sentenced to 25 years in prison, which is the maximum sentence for his charge, plus five years prob- probation. And he's still serving his sentence today. They charge him with a murder, right? But then, or whatever, manslaughter, whatever. Mm-hmm. Do they also charge him with all the theft and shit? Yes. Okay. He he was, a few days later, he was subsequently charged with theft. That charge he pled manslaughter, he pled guilty to, was just manslaughter. Was the plea for manslaughter like five years and then the rest of all the no. shit he did another 20 years? The judge handed down the maximum sentence available for manslaughter because a lot of people thought that New York's rules for not being able to charge him with first degree murder was stupid. But I guess in a sense it makes sense because I don't believe it was intentional. Like, he, I don't think he was planning this for weeks at all. I no. think he lost his cool. But he also made a choice at that point to kill, to attack Larry He Wells. also made the choice ahead of time to right. bring a knife. Exactly. And I think that would be the thing that I'm like, mm. Yeah, I think the judge thinks so too. So right, I that's think why if, they handed down the maximum right. sentence. Five years is a long time. It is a long time, but he killed somebody. Yeah. I just think that... Going in with a knife, you know that you obviously are prepared to use it. You have a weapon. You're entering with a weapon. Once that person starts fighting back, you make a choice to either drop that weapon and start punching back or just run out, or you make the choice to use the weapon to attack that person, knowing full well that that attack could lead. It's a knife. I just think 25 years is a long time. Like in England, I think the maximum sentence you can get for anything you do is 25 years. Yeah. Because... I think you're right. After 25 years... You're a different person. 25 years in jail, you're a different person. Bernie Grushka needed, he needed to be stopped, clearly. He needed to be stopped. And that he was so desperate and he was so brazen at that point that I don't believe he went into that being like, oh my God, I murdered somebody. I think he was like, whatever I can do to get away with this, I'm not going to get uncovered. I'm No one's going to find out my identity. Who knows if Larry went for his mask? Who knows if Larry recognized him or recognized his voice? Bernie Grushka, according to a lot of reports I read, was actually the one who had hired Larry. Even though they weren't close, he had hired him years before. So who knows? Maybe Larry knew exactly who it was. None of that matters. But all I'm saying is that clearly Bernie Grushka made a choice in that office that morning so his to argument, attack Larry. His argument is... I panicked because I didn't want to get caught. With a knife. You panic with a knife. You know that the risk is you're going to kill somebody. If you stab someone, you intend to harm them. Yes. For sure. And you're right. Like, God bless your heart. You are so right. And on the surface, you When you you murder me tonight, Mm -hmm. you'll get out of jail when you're 55. Yeah, manslaughter. Your face will be fucked up. I'll just plead self-defense. You They'll won't definitely be. You won't me. be getting a new boyfriend. And I'll cut this out. So there's no be evidence. All fucked up. In jail, you won't get to put all those creams on your face. They'll let me bring my creams. No, they won't. Yeah, they will. Have you? you are think, you out of your goddamn mind? You think I wouldn't make friends in jail? <laughs> oh yeah, you'll get like fucking butt cream or some shit to put on your face. Hell yeah, I just need some moisturizer. Toilet it's fine. Cream. I don't care. I don't care what it is. I just need some moisturizer. I'll take some olive oil from the kitchen. Yeah, they got in jail. What? Hard water. No. It's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be dry as fuck. Oh my god, I can't survive in jail. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. Moisturizers, makeup, clothes, whatever. Hard water. Mm-mm. Really, you could live without all of those things. I could live without makeup. You know, I could live without makeup. But I could definitely not live without lotion. I get ashy. I'm African. What the <laughs> fuck do people expect? Do you think you could live without all your clothes? Yeah. Okay, let's I'd be get really rid of stressed. Them. I'd be really get... stressed about it. I feel like, I let me tell you a story. When I moved country from England to America, I got rid of all my stuff. Honestly, I, I just got... Hold on, I'm not No, done. I just got I'm the not... biggest wave of anxiety <laughs> thinking about my plants. No. <laughs> well, those are all out. If if the police came tonight and they were like, you're under arrest, I'd be like, my plants, who's going to water? I would literally lose my mind. I cannot kill you because my plants, they would all die. And my mom would steal them all and I would be devastated. That's the reason. 
Not For sure. The, not like our kid. Oh, or... yeah, our child. <laughs> I forgot about him. Our kid, too. Yes, of course, our child. <laughs> but also, my plans. Oh, my God. Can you imagine what these plans would look like after a few days? If I went to jail for 25 mm. years, what would you do? What, what would you do, you do with all my stuff? Do I get your money and stuff? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. What would I do with all your stuff? I'd mm. keep it all for you. For sure. For 25 years? If you were sentenced to... I would probably, like, fight to get you released early. What about the dog? I would keep her, too. Are you kidding? She's your dog. You love her. But I wouldn't see her. 25 years. doesn't matter. I love you. If I you went to never... jail for 25 years, I'd get rid of all of your shit. <laughs> like, straight away. We'd have a really empty house. But I'd pine for you. <laughs> You're a piece of shit. Fine, I'm getting rid of your dog and all your shit. So what I would do affects what you would do? It's tip Absolutely. For Unbelievable. I mean, I said I was wonderful and it did not affect you at all. You were like, yeah, I hear you, how wonderful you are and like caring. I'll get rid of all your I'm, shit. I'm caring about your plants because I know that I couldn't up You literally them. said I'd get rid of all of your shit. <laughs> yeah. You said all of it. Yeah. Nice try. You can't take it back. Now we know where we stand. <laughs> I hope you go to jail. <laughs> what? Anyways, um, so that's the story of Larry Wells and the Toys R Us murder. I didn't like it. Can you get close to the microphone? I didn't like it. Why? Because I guessed the wrong person. <laughs> yeah, you never <laughs> guess the wrong person. I know. I think it was shocking for everybody, actually, in that community. They were like, I'm sorry, what? Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Let Me Tell You a Story. As always, please leave your suggestions, comments, questions, all that type of stuff down in the comments or the review section of the podcast or email me at let me tell you a story at let me tell you a story pod, sorry, at gmail.com. That's the best place to recommend cases. But if you want to leave a review, just leave it down in the review section. It helps people find the show. Somebody wrote like no, I could not get through the first few minutes with these two. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay, fine. That's fair. <laughs> that's, fair. that's literally what I was like. All right, that's fine. Um, but yeah, you guys, uh, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you very, very soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.